Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers with Faster Skier. This episode with U.S. Ski Team coach Matt Whitcomb is the second of two that we're posting this week. We've been looking forward to hearing from Matt, who's been a longtime player in the U.S. Ski Team uh, infrastructure, and uh, we expect to be posting some more episodes in the coming weeks. Stay with us. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by New Moon Ski and Bike, located in beautiful Hayward, Wisconsin's picturesque Northwoods region, which borders Michigan's Upper Peninsula and is home to the country's largest cross-country ski race, the American Berkebiner. The Berkey has over 100 kilometers of cross-country ski trails that stretch from Cable, Wisconsin to Hayward. Some have named the trail as the number one cross-country ski destination in the entire U.S. The trails are groomed and maintained for both skate and classic skiing, or ditch the skis altogether and go fat biking instead. Hayward boasts more than 50 miles of groomed fat bike trails to choose from. New Moon has ski and fat bike rentals available with experts ready for waxing and repair services. New Moon is the area's premier shop for skis, snowshoes, and fat bikes, clothing, accessories, expert fitting, and outstanding customer service. When in Hayward, look for them on Highway 63 in the Big Log Chalet or check them out online at newmoonski.com. Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm just finishing this breakfast taco here. Um, but yeah, we're psyched to have you here, Matt. I mean, I can introduce you. I, I don't, I don't know. You, you've been with the, it feels like you've been with the USD team for about as long as I've been alive, which probably isn't actually true, but it, at least since I was, um, a very inexperienced cross-country ski journalist reporting on like world junior championships in Germany in like 2010. So we're talking at least 12 years, but probably dating before that and have followed the program, you know, through how how many different Olympics, like you could probably tell us, sorry that I don't have this on hand. Oh, that's okay. Um, I started in 2006, right after the Torino games. Um, And so it was just my fourth, fourth Olympics as a coach. Gotcha. Which is so, which has been quite a quite, a, quite an amazing chapter of my life. That's for sure. Yeah, and you correct that you you were a ski racer yourself at Middlebury, and then um, and then so yeah, that's you've been 16 years with the ski team, and then uh, that you are now at this point the head coach of the cross country team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I started as the development coach with Pat Casey. Uh, and then we did that for probably five years. And then my job title was World Cup coach for, no, I'm sorry. Then it was women's team coach for six years. And, and then uh, kind of moved to, we were trying to spread resources a little more evenly over to the men's side. So I was World Cup coach uh, for two years and, and then kind of felt like we needed a little bit of um, more clarity on what everyone's jobs were. So I, I moved into the head coach position. Chris Grover moved into the program director position, just always managing to uh, remain as my boss somehow. So it's, uh, it's, that's kind of been the, the progression. If, if, if you consider it a progression, I definitely do. It's been awesome. Nice. Well, I would, I would definitely consider it a progression. Nice. So, you know, it seems like we could cover a whole bunch of stuff here and, and, um, you know, we we had uh, Robin McKeever on uh, a few days ago to and talked about a number of things and and covered a little bit of the the equal distance uh, concept. It seems like maybe we could actually just start with that maybe a little more quickly than we would have had we not 
covered that with him, but just, just would love to hear a little bit about like, um, I mean, I, I know that it sounds like that's an issue that, you know, U.S. ski team and, and U.S.s say, or U.S. ski and snowboard is kind of pushed actually actively on the international level. And just would love to hear sort of how you feel about seeing that actually get put into place for next year. Mm, yeah, it, it's incredible uh, to, to have equal distances. What actually, what's, what's incredible is for, is more uh, the length of time that it took to have equal distances. Um, and it's just really nice now that there will be. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely proud that um, to have been one of the people that has been pushing, but I definitely have to um, say that we jumped on a movement. It, this did not start with us. This was not like a deeply seated passion of mine. Uh, this uh, started with, for me, for um, from Molly Enman Peters, a, a woman who lives in Vermont, an old ski team, uh, Middlebury ski team teammate of mine. She's really the one to thank. I think worldwide for, for this happening. I, I know Patty Ross was also a, a big supporter of Molly's throughout this, but um, I've just sort of been able to jump on the bandwagon, uh, get on some committees and, and push from that, from that. But there's no thanks to me. Um, this big, big shout out to Molly. Uh, it is an incredible thing. And I mean, uh, what we talked a bit about with Robin as well, is like, it's actually, also quite incredible that it's 2022 and this is happening now i mean yeah. if if you follow other sports like the, the the easiest the easiest sport to compare it to would be track and field and and the whole bs about like how the longest distance for women in track and field was the 3000 meter and it was just like such a shit show to try and get it to the equal distances. And then finally you had the five, the 10 and the marathon. And then that just became, we just take that for granted, especially any younger athlete or anyone that follows track and field. I mean, of course the women are going to have the same program as, as the men, other than the, the heptathlon and, and the decathlon, of course, that is still different distances, but, and like hurdle heights and blah, blah, blah. But, but the, but the fact of the matter is in cross country skiing, it is, it's actually kind of flabbergasting when you just take, take a step back and realize that it's taken this long to have some standardized distances. And what I think is a challenge in cross-country skiing, though, and I talked to Robin about this now, don't worry, Nat, I won't go all into the weeds on this this time. But, but, what, but what I think, but what I do think is interesting <laughs> in, in some ways is when I feel like cross-country skiing has like whiplash, like, like kind of, you know, like we're constantly trying to reinvent ourselves distances are coming and going there's skiathlon there's not a skiathlon there's an old style pursuit there's not old style pursuits anymore they're like we're all over the place and i hope that if this thing becomes successful as i it should and this is something that i'm really happy you guys work so hard to push through but the fact of the matter is like i hope it's a success so that we can actually just like solidify some distances here and then in 30 years when we're having this conversation again, we can be like, it, it's just a bit like track. It's a bit like the 10,000 on the track. You're like, of course, you know, these are the women that won the 10,000 on the track. It was beautiful performances, blah, 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 blah. And it, it's just kind of, it's a, it's a non-issue right. anymore. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, if you think about it, it's uh, 2022. It's the 50th anniversary of title nine. <clears throat> that was, that was 1972. And uh, this is only now just happening. 
So, but, but let's, let's celebrate it for sure. And what's also interesting to me is that uh, the majority of athletes on the most recent survey, which was a swing from previous surveys and previous years, the majority of the athletes uh, were not in favor of it. Um, and I think what you see there is it's, it's people. Um, I actually don't know this, but it, but it might be people voting for races that are, that they're good at. So um, because maybe women don't know that they're amazing at the 50 K, why would they, why would they vote to have a 50 K? They know that they're really good at the 30 or they know that they're really good at the 10 K. So why would they want to eliminate the chance to do more of those races? Um, and also coaches, I think, uh, I think it passed with 57% or something like that. So it wasn't like a landslide. Um, you might have to check my, my polling, but, uh, but it's, uh, I think for anybody that, you know, is, is really opposed to this, the real harm that could be done is by, uh, not having change and continuing to have women, uh, race these, uh, shorter, you could say inferior distances for no reason at all. You know, science has proven that there's just absolutely no reason for women to be racing shorter. And, and you'll get bullshit answers like, well, we need to, you know, we've got this problem where it takes women longer to cover uh, the same distance than it, than it does for men. And so how do we fit it into the TV time? You know, and I was like, I don't, I don't know, figure it out. <laughs> Otherwise you're going to be the suppressor and you, and that's how you can go down. But I, I'm really excited about it, and I think it's going to be uh, really cool watching the 50K, the 50-50 in, in the home and calling. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I'm so looking forward to that as well. And what I said to Robin is that I just hope and pray they put both those 50Ks on the same day. So it's like the day of the 50K, so the women can finally experience what the home and calling 50K really is about instead of the women racing on the Sunday. Yeah and uh, everybody going home and then yeah okay this year the the women raced on the saturday but guess what like it was still just as pandemonium on the 50k day um you know even though they tried to move the men's race to the day after so i, I think right. i think i think i think it, it it should be like it should be super exciting and i i mean um I, I i totally agree i mean one thing also we covered with with robin and we won't be, beat this to death either nat because <laughs> i went on quite the i jumped on my soapbox and and said what i meant but like i i think it was really interesting what you said nat uh matt uh, um, about how like physiologically speaking the women and the men like it's endurance sport like we should just get over it like the women can handle more than the men can in pretty much all walks of life, <laughs> but especially in endurance sport. And, and, you know, I, I had a discussion with Robin last time, a couple of days ago, like Matt said, but like, to me, I think the equality has to go I'm, cause I'm just going to parrot exactly what I said. Cause I think this is a message that has to like get through to North American ski communities, especially at the club level that, right. that we just, the women need to train, like not the women need to train, sorry. The culture in clubs has to be that the women, when you're 14, 15, we can all be one big group doing fun intervals all together instead of like discounting women and saying that like, okay, they do four times five. That was the example I used a couple of days ago, but like four times five minutes and the men do six times five minutes or the women jump in the van at three hours and the men jump in the van at four hours. 
yeah. and, and and that's outrageous first first and foremost and that's something that i've seen in my whole career that's still happening in canada at the club level um it's ingrained with coaches they think that this is just kind of the thing and this is not happening here yeah at the club right, level no. it's, in it's norway that does quiet, not quiet. happen yeah, that does not happen at 14, 15 year old practices here in Norway. That does not happen at 18 year old practices here in Norway. And it sure as hell does not happen on the women's team with uh, Mar Bjergen and Terezio Huggen when right. Kristen was racing and stuff. The, the women were doing more than the men. That's that's not the point. I'm, I'm not trying to say that like everyone's got a toughen up buttercup, but it, it's just a it's a culture thing that I think equality has to has to cut all the way down through the development pipeline. And, and we just have to realize that yeah, like the physiological demands are such for women and men that you tailor individuals training to the individual, not because of their gender, but more because like what their physiological parameters can handle at the elite level when you're, you know, 28 and a World Cup winner. But when you're 14, 15, like, let's not try and have that inequality happening. That, that's yeah. my opinion. No, I agree. And you, if you looked at the annual volumes of every skier on our team, you would not see uh, all of the men over to the right with the higher, higher bars. Um, you, you, you know, you would just see a mix of men and women. Exactly. Um, kind of covering the gamut of the, of the annual volumes. It's in, like you said, it's much more based on uh, age or physiology. We, we definitely try to coach to the individual as much as possible and even uh, take take gender aside, you know, you don't give the same sort of program to all the men. Um, oh. Otherwise you're going to miss some big opportunities. So coach the individual. And if there's no reason to have, to be doing something, why would you do it? And that's, that's kind of, to me, why uh, get, getting rid of the, the disparity between distances makes the most sense. There's no reason to do it. So let's stop doing it. Yeah, no, for sure. And Matt smacked me around talking to Robin and, and just before we move on from the topic, it's being a traditionalist, like 15K classic, Matt. I mean, maybe it wasn't my best results in my career, but my God, it was my favorite race. And, um, you know, original races like for the men, the, the 15K and the, and the 30K, those are gone. And those were both distances that were around, you know, with the, the first Winter Olympics in uh, 1924 when this whole whole thing got off the ground uh and but Nat Nat was good to smack me and say like yeah but name like the cla like uh, like a, a historic 15k classic or name a historic 30k and it's true I mean it, it is the 50k in cross-country skiing that is the king just you know I mean and now queen uh race and, and these other races hold a special place in my heart because I've been a fan and I'm old and I raced them but um you know I, I still I still think it's a a bit too bad that that you can't have a, a, a space for a 15 and a 30k but at the same time if if you have to choose if, you, if i had to take a vote or choose i mean it's the easiest thing in the world you you punt the 15k you punt the 30k and, and you have equal distances and and you just start aligning with what it should have been from the start actually yeah that's right and and you know i think probably men and women competing in the same distances is, is my guess would be I'd, I'd put some money down saying it's here to stay yeah um, i hope so what can continue to change are the race formats from year to year for men and women together. Yeah. And so um, I wouldn't say that any, any race is gone forever. I think all of this is in a, is in a trial phase. And, and personally too, uh, I find a lot of satisfaction in watching a shorter men's mass start race. 
you know, I, I think uh, in many instances, we're just uh, perhaps pushing, pushing those events a little bit too long. And so I'm, I'm excited to see um, some of the men's races come, come down in, in length and, and see some, you know, higher, higher action, more, some more action. So. Yeah. And, and I agree. Actually, this would be a good place to transition from this topic to, to something else. This is something I wasn't really planning on talking about, but you open, opened it up a little, which is great. Um, <clears throat> I, because I agree. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, Nat and I've been just like parroting this for a year, but I mean, men's racing is the worst. I mean, it sucks on TV mostly, not all the time, but there's a lot of races that are, yeah, not the most exciting. The women's races where there, there's a lot of diversity of nations. There's a lot of different names, but there's also like a lot of different tactics happening. And in the men, it's, it's, it's been a little boring. So like having, having some shorter distances should get a bit more excitement into it. And I hope actually, and I'm not sure it will, but I, I really hope it can allow some nations that have a rich history in great results internationally that have fallen by the wayside to maybe get some results and, and kind of be a spark in the programs to start believing in themselves again, because I think we have a bit of a, you know, I don't know if you've been following this, but like the, there's a vote tomorrow with the IOC about in order to combine, like is in order to combine getting it punted from the Olympics. And, you know, the, the word here in Norway is like, it's 50, 50, like it's a coin flip. Like it could get punted because there's a lot of noise speaking of inequality and ridiculousness that it's the only sport on the docket that the women aren't competing at the Olympics. Like it's insane. Um, so, you know, it could, it could just lose out altogether, but you know, who's next after this, if we continue down the path we're on, on the men's side of things anyway, it, it's cross-country skiing. I mean, right now you have the juggernaut of Norway for the men, and then you have Russia who is not looking good to be able to start this year and also has a very <laughs> checkered history from doping and other issues. And, and the powerhouses of the Italy, the, the, the Italians that have been traditionally strong, they're gone. They're, there's no one in distance racing. Germany, like winning multiple, like year after year, winning the overall World Cup in, in the 2000s when you started coaching, like they were the juggernauts of, of distance skiing. They're nowhere compared to where they used to be. Canada, we're in a rebuilding phase. The U.S., super exciting team you got. I'm stoked to see them go. Same with the young Canadians, but they're young. And, like, we're just going to have to see where this progresses. There's no reason to believe that they're not going to be there, and even this winter. But there's guys coming top 10 as first-year seniors, both in the Canadian program and the U.S. program. So, I mean, the talent's there, and the programs are built around them. So there's no reason why they can't get back up, but they have not been traditionally there. Finland has Evo which is great. But again, they also have a checkered past in their heyday with Kiefer Sneamy and Milula and Isometza all getting popped for doping. Um, Sweden has been a train wreck for the men. Uh, again, they're coming back up a little bit with Portima, which is exciting. And some other young guns, uh, Berman, if you could get healthy again, has shown amazing promise. But what, where I'm going with this is I've never seen men skiing so, so like top heavy and thin. Like we just do not have the competitiveness in the men's side of things the last few years. And I hope these shorter distances, like you said, like, I don't know what your perspective is, but I really hope that that can also like breathe some life into the development pipelines of these countries, because I'm actually a bit scared. (laughs) You know, we're taking for granted that, you know, oh yeah, yeah. Well, then Norway sweeps the podium with Russia gone. Well, like Norway just sweeps the podium every third world cup or every second world cup. And that's normal. But I'm telling you like in 
my career, which was 15 years long, it was not normal that Norway swept the podium every single weekend or every second weekend. And even prior to that, even Bjorn Dolly's heyday, like never forget like 94, just like a kilometer and a half from where I'm sitting, Bjorn Dolly got pipped by a Silvio Founder and lost the relay here in Lillehammer, even though they were fantastically dominant in, in the Lillehammer Olympics in the Norwegians. But I, I think we're kind of in a tipping point with, with men's skiing too. So if a collateral positive is that these shorter distances make it more exciting and help programs, then I'm all for that. Because I, what's your perspective on that? I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a, I think it, personally, not to be dramatic, but like, I think it's a dire situation for men's cross-country skiing right now. Like it, it has to change and has to change quickly, especially with the Russians not being there this winter uh, and maybe not for some winters to come. Who knows, right? Like this, this conflict in conflict, this war in Ukraine is 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 um, very unpredictable. But one thing seems to be the fact that it could take a while to to come to resolution. So I, I'm I'm curious to hear your perspective on that. Sorry for that long windedness there. No, that's all good. Give me give me a chance to think a little bit too. I, I mean, a couple things. You know, there's always an opportunity where there appears to be a problem. Uh, and, you know, if you take out five to eight of the men who can consistently be in the top 10, if not on the podium, those being the Russians, um, that seems to take quite a bit of, out of the sport. At the, at the same time, that makes it, um, you know, 30% easier for our athletes to get into the top 10 or, you know, to, to get onto the podium. And, and that's the same for all these other nations who have just been fighting for success and relevance. And, and so there's going to be some opportunity for more, uh, for more people to do well out there now. And I think that is probably the silver lining. The other thing that's going to be interesting is the way the FIS has changed the world cup scoring to top 50. Yeah. And it yeah, we we ran the math, or I should I should say we Jason Cork ran the math, um, one of our coaches. And two years ago, um, or I think this year, Jesse would have actually won. That was that was kind of a significant, but not actually a significant change. You know, most most skiers went up a place or down a place or down two places, up two places. There's virtually no change um in the in the actual overall scoring. Um, but what does change is that those nations that might only get 19 points throughout the, the whole season will now have a chance to score, you know, over 100 points and, and have an actual uh, deep ranking against similar nations. And so um, it just won't be it won't just be an accurate, exciting competition from uh, the top eight nations, top 10 nations. I think that'll extend all the way through the 25 nations who compete um, because suddenly to get into the top 50 uh, is, is a doable thing for a lot of these countries. I'm excited. And hope, yeah. And I hope, I hope that's the springboard. I mean, you know, because yeah, I mean like, like I'm just old, but you know, when you started coaching, it was, it was like Slovakians winning world cups, you know, like the Czechs were winning world cups it was a lot of nations with some heavy hitters, not full deep teams that, that there wasn't, it's not like the Slovakian team was like Ivan Vittori and Batacek weren't like 10 deep, but there was two guys there that were, that were competitive here and there. And it, and I hope, I hope that that does, like you said, be the silver lining of it all that, that it, um, 
can can inspire can inspire programs like really because we need some inspiration I'm, I'm just so it really bums me out and i get frustrated hearing countries like when i've been around the world cup the last few years and just talking with some of the old timers that are like that i've known forever from all these other countries and, and these are guys that have worked with like great skiers from their country but now i just the narrative has changed and they're kind of throwing their arms up it's like what are we going to do like we're not even close it's like you want to slap them? It's like, what are you going to do? You worked with Teichman. Like, you were there. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Or you worked with Bauer or, um, you yeah, know, but, the champ. Like, it, it's, yeah. Anyway. You get you take those guys who are throwing their, their arms up in the air and complaining and concerned, and, and you just get them out of the way. Yeah, I guess the only way to do it. And that, that's, that's the You hire that's, some that's fresh, the way it goes. fresh young blood into your program. Yeah. Who, uh, some indefatigable coaches and uh and, and just keep on pushing always yeah. always, always forward as i uh, to say. i i just think everyone should get stoked about china um you know watching uh watching wang chang when uh, uh on the podium in, in Dramen and kind of just like matt said uh capitalizing on the fact that you know got no russians in a whole boatload of norwegians out with covid that weekend and you know surprising and interesting things can happen so um absolutely absolutely and what a what a cool kid he is too um, oh yeah he's easy yeah, to share I, I had a chance to, you know, you, you talk to him and uh, he's very friendly. He calls me coach, you know, it's just like <laughs> so endearing. And I was skiing in Falun. I was just skiing easy into the finish area and he had just finished uh, an interval. And so I, I, I was just kind of messing with him a little bit. I started sprinting for the finish and looked, looked right at him and he lit me up and he was done too. <laughs> he was, it was awesome. So we had a nice laugh and, and I'm now forever a fan. So it's pretty cool. Nice. And then my back was uh, blown out for three weeks. That's how I ended the season. <laughs> <laughs> worth it. Yeah, but it's worth it. If you're going to go down, go down big. I mean, like, don't, yeah, worth it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, maybe that's a, that, that could be a good segue, you know, when it comes failing back here. I mean, I, I actually, I thought that was a really interesting uh, question that, that Devin floated out there as we were kind of talking through some of the, the topics for this podcast was, um, you know, it seems like we've definitely seen some uh, new faces on the U.S. coaching staff, you know, cycling in, cycling out, um, I, you know, throughout Greta Anderson from Alaska, who I see on my, you know, neighborhood bike rides, coaching, uh, coaching juniors and stuff when I'm like coming through the park, but um, also know that, you know, uh, Matt, you've been involved for 16 years i think grover's been involved at least that long um oh, more you know, more yeah so some other you know some other folks who've been around for quite a long time and um i mean maybe i can maybe devin can ask this question a little more bluntly or better than i can but just sort of uh you know first of all um are you tired are, are you do you do you ever think about like you know can i take a effing year off from spending you know six months of the year over in europe or um, where, where, where are you at? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I have found myself, uh, just to, just to put it how it is right now, right now, I'm, I'm absolutely loving, loving things. Um, but for the first probably eight to 10 years with the national team, I never for a, for a moment questioned that this was, this was the job. And 
now every other year um i i get to the point where i'm just i mean you know you talk about absorbing training i, I get to the point where i'm just not absorbing the travel load the, the absorbing the coaching and have gotten to the point where i can see where i'm being overextended and I, i've had good feedback from athletes in the past saying that when when i'm tired you know i don't bring the same product that i do when i'm rested and so i really try hard but for the last two years with covid i've you know continually uh passed on opportunities to go home for a week just because i know it's it's i can't go home for a week and then come back into the pre-olympics training camp and run that it's just not possible and i, I can't go home for six days after the olympics and then get back to lati it just doesn't work that way so um, yeah, I, I am getting tired at times, but in general, I'm, I'm surviving and, uh, but it's interesting. It's good for me to say that out loud because I don't want to be the coach who plateaus without knowing it. Um, I want to, I want to be done, uh, before that plateau happens. And I, I want to be done before people are having this awkward conversation behind my back. It's like, Hey, how do we get, you know, Matt to kind of hurry along into the next, the next thing that he does. Um, so, but right now I'm absolutely loving it and, and feel like I'm still the right person to be in the position, but, uh, yeah, this is not a, a limitless, there's not a limitless future ahead of me in this role. It is, uh, I'm 44 and I'm single. I have, you know, uh, I, I want a family, don't have one. And, and so it's, uh, the job has demands that, are unrealistic. Uh, however, it's just so fun and it just fills you with so much purpose. Uh, the connections you make with your colleagues, um, not just on my team, but all these other nations, I mean, I have more international friends than I have in the U S um, the connections you make with athletes. Uh, you know, it's absolutely heartbreaking to see, uh, people retire, Hannah, Logan, Catherine this last year, uh, Simi, Sadie, Sophie, the year before, you know, it like really breaks your heart and, uh, and, and pulls on your emotions. But with those athletes retiring, there are always three or four new ones coming in. And it's just, it's, a it's a wonderful profession of fulfillment. Um, but yeah, it's hard. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's, that was very eloquent of you to say, because uh, you answered a bit of the questions there. I mean, I wanted to ask you about, like, about that, like, about athletes you get close with and follow the arcs of their career and, and not only share, not only share, like, great triumphs on the ski trails, as we all know, like, when you live something, when you're all in with everything and as all in as you have to be from a North American perspective, where, where it really it's a European sport. And if you want to take this plunge, like you're going to have to get comfortable in Europe and, and staff need to understand what, what that means. Like you just alluded to and, and athletes as well. Um, so you get really, really close with, with the athletes. And, and then of course, like professionally, you're going to have great races and bad races, disappointments and triumphs, whatever, like I said, but also like life. You know what I mean? Like people get sick, people, people break up with each other, people like just the normal everyday life things that happen, especially when you've been in a role, like you've been in that, like for, for 14, 15 years at the national team level. And then, then a career that spans, you know, like a career like mine or whatever, where I was active on the world cup for 15, 16 years. It, it's, 
you, you go through a lot and, and your coaches are there with you. And it's, a, it, you know, it gets thrown around all over the place. Like this idea of like a family. Yeah. But the weird thing about a family is like when people retire, like looks like you're sitting in at your place in Vermont and like Sophie and Simi are hanging in, in Colorado. Do, do yep. you know what I mean? And, and on their journey, um, Liz Steven that you followed through her career and were so instrumental in, in her career and close with, you know, mm -hmm. she's in park city, uh, but luckily you're in park city all the time, but like, <laughs> but, but I, I, it just, it's a beautiful thing, but it's also kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, at least I find that strange. I'm sitting here in Norway. Right. And like, yeah, I see you for like 10 minutes or whatever. Uh, when, when the world come, come comes through Lillehammer, if I'm out of stop here and there, but I mean, you know, you were never my coach, but man, we had some great times fly fishing together and some good chats over, over a uh, coffee or whatever. And all the, the camps that we were at the same places, I felt like I got to know you really well and you're a great guy. And then boom, next thing you know, like things kind of are on their own path in a, in a way. And can you reflect a little bit on that? Like how, how was that? I guess I just be more concrete. Like, how was it, how was it when Liz came to you and said that her time was done? Like what, what were the emotions that were mm. going through your mind and then how can you like what did you learn from that experience for when when simi and sophie did the same because i know you were very close and as with liz incredibly instrumental in their careers you know and also in their life yeah um let's see with liz the year that she uh graduated retired <laughs> graduated retired um it was also the year with keegan and andy you know quasi andy real andy quasi retirement um, and so that was kind of, that was sort of our first big, oh shit, this is going to be a, this is going to be a big one where not only are these fast racers, they are, they've been instrumental in building the team that has had so much success. Um, and you know, I'm not one to feel like I, uh, you know, want any credit for, um, our team doing well, but I do want the athletes to feel credit for when they, when they contribute to something that has just like this invaluable impact and, and Liz, Keek and Andy, that first sort of batch of retirements was, was really tough. And, and you bring up Liz, you know, I, I basically got my job with the, with the national team because Ida and Liz were fast skiers. It wasn't because I was experienced. I had five years of coaching experience under my belt. And Pete and Luke said, Hey, we, we need somebody, we need somebody that can, can do what it appears you you've done at Burke. And it's like, thank God they didn't look too closely at Burke and the, you know, between four and eight skiers I had in any given year, you know, it was like a very small, small program. But the bottom line was that there just aren't that many people that want to do this job. And, um, so I'm getting a little bit of a little, little tangential here. Um, but I think when it comes to you asked how it is when you, you lose some of these athletes to retirement or maybe not even retirement, maybe they just don't qualify for the team. Um, I agonize over it. I, I absolutely do. Um, and usually I agonize over it before it's actually even happened. And then when it actually happens and we've given our, farewell speeches and had our, you know, toast at the end of the year. 
I always realize that it's okay. And I think it's okay because we, we built something that it, it has legacy to it. It's, it's sustainable. Um, and I also realize that I'm okay when um, friends like you and Nat move on to Norway or Alaska. Um, and I only see you guys once a year um, because I'm happy with who I am and, and where I am. And, and there are other people, if you sort of open your eyes all around you that will provide the same thing that these great retiring or moving on people um, did prior. So a little bit of a weird. No, no, that, that I, I think I follow your question, but I'm going to press you a little bit on that. Like, because yeah. like, yeah, I understand, I understand that new athletes come in and, and that's the nature. And I mean, you're in high performance and, and you have a good situation right now with a lot of young talent that are excited that, that live and breathe this sport and, and want to follow in the footsteps of a Liz or a Keegan or, or a Jesse and, and the next ones. Do you know what I mean? Or, or Gus, you know, like think, think of some of the young guns, Luke, Gus, like all the guys like coming up on the men's side, like they want to, they want to forge their own path. They don't want to be the, the next Chris Freeman. They want to, they want to be on the podium in distance races and, and they want to be the leaders. They next Bill Coke, if you can say that, but Bill Coke, it's just some name of the junior ski league for, for a guy like Gus, you know, cause it, they don't have the tangible, um, the, they can't relate to that totally. But so but the reason why I'm going to press you on it a bit, is like, even though it is exciting and you have new people coming in and out, like what you shared with Liz or what mm-hmm. you shared with like, I'll use like Sophie as a good example and Simi like for sure there's always a possibility that you can have that relationship uh, uh, closeness. And I, I, I mean like professional, of course too, but, but also like just person, person, personally, you don't click with everyone you meet in life. Right. And, and, you know, like, like the old saying goes, like you can't pick your family, but you also can't really pick the national team to a certain degree. If you're good, you're going to, you're going to end up with a, with an opportunity to come into the national team, no matter where you are. And, I was just curious, like, has that changed? Like, did you feel as though maybe you're, it could be you better? Like you, you relate to these athletes, these new athletes that come in better because of the experiences that you've gone through with someone like Liz or, or Sophie or, or Simi. I, I know I'm leaving out a lot of great athletes you've coached with. This, these are the ones that come to my mind uh, right now. And these new ones come in, or are you a little bit, do you ever have that feeling where the new athlete comes in and you're like, oh man, it's going to, I'm going to do this again when I get to know you super, super well. We're going to go through all this stuff. And it's, it's just we're on this train to the destination, essentially, or whenever, the, whenever you decide to, to press the button on the streetcar and get off on your stop, whenever that stop may be. Is that something you ever reflect over philosophically or, or is it just happened so organically that and your life is so chaotic? Not chaotic. I mean, like, so like stuff is happening all the time. That's the beauty of racing. I mean, there's always the next race. There's always the next camp. There's always the next board meeting. There's always but I, just like that. I, could you dig a little deeper into that if you want yeah, to? You yeah. don't have to, but I'm just curious. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, you could you could take any one of these. I mean, look at the impact Chris Freeman had too on uh, this this group of group of guys coming up. A lot of them really respected him and, and Noah Hoffman. Um, but Liz, Sophie, Simi, Sadie, Keegan, Holly, Ida, you know, I, I shouldn't have even started naming names because now I'm uh, Eric Bjornsson, I'm going to leave some out, but um, how do you replace them? And the truth is you, you're not actually looking to replace them, you, but a, a big vacancy opens up and I've never seen it such that we've been pulled down by this vacancy. 
um, somebody always jumps in. You know, if you have uh, a few strong leaders on the team move out, maybe there have been a few strong leaders or medium strength leaders that have been just ready to, to advance. And, and that seems to always happen. And what it's taught me is to not be afraid of change. Um, and I think I've gotten better at that over my years coaching and, you know, adjusting to different philosophies, because if you are hard headed about philosophies, um, you're going to have a really hard hard time in this profession you have to be willing to work with a whole variety of different personalities um, but those those vacancies get filled in in different ways and the way the team is being led today is different than the way that it was being led um, with Keegan Liz Andy Noah <laughs> you know Chris um, it, it is it is totally different but their names still come up their impact uh, is still present. You know, we, we still do things that have their signature on it. Um, quite literally, in fact, um, you know, programs that they started or, or ideas that they had things that we're still doing because of the people. So legacy is a, is a real thing. And we've, we've really valued from that. Um, but I no longer fear uh, athletes moving on, particularly with the connectivity of the world these days. You know, I'm, I, I stay in touch with these guys. I've, I'm, I'm on the board of National Nordic Foundation with Keegan and Sophie um, and, you know, had had an hour phone call with Liz a few weeks ago and, and visited Simi and helped him build his house last fall. And you just try and stay in touch with them. And I'm going to see Sadie and uh, next week in, in Alaska. So. Oh, and that's now that, that that's a great answer. And that is great to hear. And I think that's something that maybe people that maybe, I mean, I don't know how many people even listen to this, but if there's people that are listening to this that are more armchair uh, cross-country enthusiasts or trying to get into the, want to understand a little more about the nuance, these are the things that, that people may, may not like kind of truly, truly grasp. And I, I wanted to say one thing, because you're too humble, Matt. Like, I mean, you're way too humble and, and Grover too and, and Cork and Fish and all you guys. I mean, I think the ask that... that um, like the, the level that you guys deliver on year after year, given the demands is something that's like phenomenal. And, and I sent you like an email with not a whole lot of forewarning about this, but like when, when I think, and we talked about this a little earlier about like succession and, and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, what you guys have been able to build and you say, yes, leaders come and go and you're in a different place than you were um, 10 years ago as a team and, you know, different people lead a little differently and then new personalities and generational changes and all that sort of stuff. But I feel like if I interviewed, well, he's a little, he's a lot less humble than you are, but, <laughs> you know, I, I use the example in the email of somebody like Alex Ferguson, you know, the old manager for Manchester United, for those that like watching professional soccer. I mean, he won 13 Premier League titles and yeah, Players came and went, you know, Beckham was there and then he wasn't. Ronaldo was there and then he wasn't, but they kept winning. Coaching staff changed around. And, you know, it's almost like I could have heard him say similar, just a, a lot less humbly <laughs> that like, you know, no, there's always new leaders in the wings and, you know, like it's fun and it's like the team is, has this power. And we have, when I say power, I mean, this, this almost like an organic self-fulfilling prophecy like success breeds success in this in this building when you put on that jersey you know you're a champion kind of thing and and that's what you've built really not you personally but the the, the team the u.s ski team has built that throughout 
your career. And because it was very different. I was traveling with you guys back in, in 2006 as well. And, you know, it was a very different team than it is today. Um, but, but as with Ferguson and Manchester United, like now Manchester United is sixth in the Premier League table and it, as the season ended and it's a disaster and they're just churning through coaches and, you know, everyone wants to look to the past. It's like, well, look at how good it was with Ferguson, but maybe, it, maybe a mis- not a mistake, but maybe something that was not valued enough was like thinking about succession. And, and is this something that comes up within USSA? Because I mean, all you guys have given your life to this project and thank God you did. And thank God it worked because, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Thank God Alex Ferguson just gave everything to Man U. Yeah, as me who likes Man U, it was a great time to like Manchester United. But, but um, you know, when people step away, it's one thing to have a quadrennial plan or a next year plan. Or, but, it, but I think there has to be some sort of vision as well for, for that long-term success because it comes a point when, when people step away. And I don't know if that's something that comes up in conversation, maybe, maybe more specifically with like you and Grover, because you're the ones that have been there the longest and you are the ones that, that um, maybe feel or like have that, like that kind of like chip on your shoulder in a way that's like, we remember what it was like when Nina Kempel got 26 or, or like when Keegan first got top 10 in a distance race for the first time. And there hadn't been a top 10 in the women's side of things forever. And, and you were there. And now it's like Diggins is winning medals every weekend. Julia Kern has one off year, comes back the next year, just like mine, mine, mine. And then top 10 all over the place. And you have luckily, like I said, that email coming in out of the woodwork, <laughs> top 10, you have Novi top 10. Like it's, it's just, you know, it, it's raining champions essentially. But um, I don't know if that's something you ever reflect over. Yeah, because, like, we definitely do. Um... And uh, Chris has always been so, so good about this in particular, with, where he said, you know, when it's time to go, um, you, know, you have the full support of the staff, you know, because you can, you can see, like, if one of us decides to leave, you could, you could have the attitudes like, oh, well, we weren't good enough for you, or how can you possibly leave? You know, there's no peer pressure to stay, to continue on. Like, we see skiing as something that we do ski coaching as something that we do in this life it's not it's not our life um it certainly makes my life wonderful but um and and so i think the older that we do get the closer we um get to the door and we do start talking about um, how we're going to leave you know i have people in mind that i would hire if if uh, for program director if chris decided to leave tomorrow um and uh, we just hired a, a woman and, uh, you know, four of our, our last four hires have all been women. Um, and so that there's a, there's a forward thinking plan, um, along a different line of thinking in terms of equality, gender equality, um, that's put in place, but these are also women that we feel like could replace us, um, someday, um, and someday, someday soon, perhaps. So yeah, we're, we, we do some thinking, um, Having said that, while while I don't want to I don't want to stick around for forever and and be the coach that plateaus by any means, I think one thing that we've benefited from, and you have, you have to put Fish and and Jason in this too because they've both been with the team for over ten years, and or maybe this is Jason's ten tenth year. Um, one of the things that has propelled us, I believe, is some consistency in staffing, 
And this is one of the things that I think has kept some of the other sports back at U.S. Ski and Snowboard is staff just moving all around. You know, it's like, okay, this year we're panicking and we're going to hire full Austrian staff. Nope. Now we're going back to American staff. Nope. We got to get the Austrians back in there. Now we got to get some Norwegian blood in here. There's just no um, institutional memory. Yeah, um, con continuity, continuity with programming. Yeah. And at the, these all staff meetings, we had a, we had an athlete panel come in to speak with us. We didn't have any cross country skiers in town, but Faye G uh, Giolini, uh, snow, snowboarder, um, who's now coaching, which is wonderful. She, her advice to the staff was stick around um, because it is so disruptive when she loses a coach every year. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, that's something that we've done pretty well is that we've, we've created this environment for the athletes to have this wonderful, um, hopefully judgment-free, productive environment so that they can have longer careers. But in doing so, we've also created the same environment for the coaches um, because happy athletes equal happy coaches and, and vice versa. So I think longevity, if there's one thing that's really helped us over, over the years, it's been no one person, no one coach. Uh, it's been that people have stuck around. Uh, but, but, and, yeah. Yeah. So but not to, not to cut you off, but like this, is this is what I'm curious about because my perspective in my ski career, um, it's almost like a strike from light. I don't know. It's like a lightning strike or Moses comes down from the mountain with, you know, stuff written in stone, finding you when they did and then having you be the right person for the job Grover as well, uh, or cork or fish fish is like, look, what, look, it's amazing. The, what's happened with the development side of things after fish has been able to come in and, and use his energy there. This is what worries me about programs in generally, like when I'm looking up 10 years from now or 15 years from now is does lightning strike twice? Like, like, you know, you say like, you know, you're taking in new staff and, and you, you're, you're in your mind, you have names that you think could, could replace you guys. And uh, when that time comes, like 20 years from now, whatever. Um, but I guess like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not pessimistic or anything, but, I, but I'm just like, I, I quite, I'm like, I, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I, I think that could be a little idealistic if you don't, don't have that at least presence of mind and have discussions about it, because I'm not quite sure that every great coach can be replaced like that. Sure. You know, and, and, and there has to be some overlap. I, I believe, you know, like succession, I see that you guys are doing that. I think that's awesome. And that's very forward thinking and uh, continue with that. But I, it, it's just interesting to hear that. I know you can't, you're not going to come out here and look me in the eyes over zoom and be like, Devin, I'm one of a kind baby. You know that you've known that the whole time we've hung out, you know, how good I am. Like, shut up. Of course, I'm not replaceable. That, I know you'll never say that, but I'm saying it. Sometimes there are staff that are very, very instrumental to programs. And it's not as easy. And you think that you have this whole team and it's a conducive thing and people can come in and out with this continuity after 10 years, after 15 years, after 20 years, you can just kind of have this like organic rolling of staff where like one person's been there for 20 years and leaves. And then you move into the program director position and uh, Grover does something else or whatever. And then you're there for some years and then Cork moves into it. Like, but it, that's not how life works all the time. And 
And I think this is something that um, businesses, but also like sport, especially, especially niche sports in North America, like cross country skiing. Um, it, it's a huge risk. I mean, you just look north of the border, Matt, like what's happened in Canada, you know what I mean? Like you've had some great staff. They were not, they didn't have a great team around them. Like you guys have, where we have staff that work really well together. They were given way too high load of work and they burned themselves out essentially. But that's also happened in the U.S. as well at times. I mean, like Vordenberg had other reasons to step away, but he also took on a lot. Yeah, and, and, and I saw Vordenberg multiple seasons shattered before it was finally like, this is, this is it. I have to step away. And of course, like his wife's a doctor, they had a family. There's a lot of other things happening, but, but um, you know, so it's not to say that American coaches don't get shattered as he, by workload either, but uh, it's just an interesting discussion. I think it's, it's fun to think about. And I hope with this uh, succession that you guys seem to be on from the athlete side of things that Kristen, like I wrote that in email too. He's like, she's so impressed with it. Like, she's like, what is happening in the U S like, how, how do I like watch races or see names and see these women being like top 10, top 15 and their names, like I've never heard before. And then you look over and it's like, Oh yeah, they, she goes to Middlebury or like she's in college at Utah and, and uh, it's like, how old is she? Like 21. And she's top 10. <laughs> it, it's, it's easy to take those, that for granted. And um, yeah, yeah it, it'll be yeah. interesting to follow along. I don't know. I'm on, I'm not on a tangent now too. That's kind of what I no, do. That's, but, um, that's, all, that's all good. I, th I think just like with athletes, you know, if you hang your identity on one athlete, which we yeah. don't, if we, no, if no. we hung our identity on, on Jesse Diggins, uh, you know, hung our hat on, on her success, then, then when she retires, we lose our hat. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, um, you know, we have a philosophy where it's, um, we, we, we don't have captains. We don't have, we don't have team captains. We don't have individual leaders. We have kind of borrowed something for Burke mountain Academy, which is all leaders, no leaders. Um, and actually Jesse brought that up in a meeting in May. Um, I don't even think she remembers where she first heard that, but this is, the idea of sort of institutional memory, this consistency that Jesse brings now after 10 years on the World Cup. Of course, of course she does. She, she said that, you know, one thing that's great about this is that I, being Jesse, don't run this team. I am a, I am one of the people who run the team and I'm, I'm running it with you. And she's looking around the room at people that are at their first training camp of their other national team careers, which is really cool. So, um, yeah, so you can't hang your hat. And if I left today, uh, we'd be okay. Uh, because we we just hired another bolt of lightning so yeah no but that's that's where i challenge you and like and that's and that's that's where i challenge you that's where i'll push back like if you left today and cork left it next year and grover left three years from now like i'm i'm not sure and i i, I want to believe that that um it would be good uh and you guys have created a great culture and i think that is the saving grace and the real from my outside perspective that the, I mean, you guys have had so many great wins through the whole, through your career map. But like, when I, when I look back from the outside and especially now, like I'm not an athlete anymore, I'm not in it anymore, really. Um, but when I look back, I remember the discussions in the U S man in like 2003, 2002, 2001. Like, yeah. I remember what the cross country ski community was like in the U S at that time. Sure. It, yeah. it was, it was combative. Yeah. It was combative well, and a lack of trust. And I just, to see that change through your guys' hard work 
and the community's hard work too, um, yeah. over two decades, because this, this, this preceded you, like you didn't come in and things started changing. Like this was happening before you came onto the national team program, but, but now to see the support and of course, success breeds success, just like man, you, right? Like I'm sure Ferguson didn't make all the best decisions, but if you're going to win trophies, man, it's easily forgivable or like you can, you can kind of polish away some, some, yeah. sk- some scuffs. But um, I think the culture, so, so in one sense, I push back on you when you say like, if I left, they'll find another bolt of lightning. I'm not, I'm not quite as bullish on, on that statement, but perhaps, but in defense of what you just said, I want to believe that the culture that you have been instrumental in creating in the U.S. ski team, in, sorry, not the U.S. ski team itself, but in the U.S. ski community at large could withstand losing institutional knowledge at, at some point. I don't know what you think that you lose the you lose the the actual body the person who, yeah. who occupied uh, this space and had these philosophies but you don't actually lose the philosophies you get to discard them more easily if you didn't like them and they're gone but um, for instance were Grover to leave today uh, I would know exactly um, how to help instruct uh, the. Eileen Carey when we hire her in in five years or somebody of similar uh, organizational prowess, you know, because he's been so transparent and he's been such a great leader. We know what he's done. And and so that doesn't leave. It's just Chris that would be leaving. Uh, We would carry with him the job that he has created and and sculpted uh, and prepared for the next person. And so that the transition, yeah, while things will be different, uh, we won't sustain a a, a, you know, a 9.5 earthquake because of it. Well, and I think my question would be for you, Matt, like how I, I imagine that you and, and Chris Grover, the, the program director, like you guys must be pretty tight in your communication. But I think, you know, I, my sense is you guys have both been, I mean, Grover's been doing this, I guess, longer than you, but, uh, you know, fair, fair to say that, both of you have been doing this a long ass time have, you know, both have, you know, probably personal unfulfilled elements of your personal lives outside of skiing that, you know, you get to a season like this one after two years of, you know, absolute shittiness with dealing with COVID on the road and quarantines and all that. Um, I imagine both of you guys, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a shot that of, of adrenaline that sort of will carry you with a couple of Olympic medals. But my question would just sort of be like, how much should, should us skiing stakeholders and fans be worried about you guys both like dropping the mic at the same time, or are you guys sort of communicating pretty closely about like, you know, if, if there's a decision by one of you guys to step away, that that doesn't, that both of you guys don't step away at the same time. Yeah. Um, again, we'd be okay. Uh, but it would, it would be harder (laughs) if, if both of us left at the same time. Um, but, uh, you know, both Chris and myself could be home for a break over the tour to ski. And, and I trust that Jason knows how to run that. You know, even though he's wax teching, he knows exactly when the race entries need to be in, how to get the, the transport money at the end of the tour, um, what sorts of things need to be communicated to the athletes. And so um, we have people in place. Uh, in many ways, we all do the same job with slightly different job titles. Um, and so, uh, but 
but yeah, I, I would guess that we would not leave at the same time just to try and mitigate the stress that would happen when, when, when two people of similar jobs do leave at the same time. But I will also tell you, Nat and Devin, that I, I don't look to me to be the program director um, someday because I, I don't have that skill set um, that uh, I, that level of organization those those details that is i'm i'm you gotta zoom out a little bit i'm a bit more macro um so uh, this will be my last stop (laughs) (laughs) i love that i love how we got that on the record and then when you're the program director it's just gonna be (laughs) hilarious like i don't know if you remember i don't know if you remember gord jewett do you remember that name matt of course yeah well i'm gonna give a great shout out to gord jewett um Gord, you know, he was uh, an athlete that was quite a number of years older than I was, but I really looked up to him. He was from the same province as me growing up. And I remember having a discussion with him because he was doing some web development and some coding while he was skiing to support his skiing and and stuff. And and he said, uh, he said to me, I was just talking about education because that was always something that was really difficult for me as a skier in Canada at that time. It's like, man, I'm going to put my like education on hold and like ski around and like, man, this is crazy. I don't know what I'm doing. And and he goes like, it's overrated. Education's overrated. Like, I'm not going to get a degree. I'm going to be fine. Look at like, you just have to find, like, don't get so stressed out about the education. Then of course, like when he retires, the next thing you know, he takes like a biomedical engineering degree. I start laughing and I'm like, next stop med school. And, and he's like, no, both my parents are doctors. I'm never going to be a doctor. <laughs> like no chance in hell. And then what does he do? Goes on to med school. Now he's a neurologist. And, and then same thing. His mom is also like a, quite a world famous scientist as well within within medicine and now i'm like well then next stops a phd he's like no i'm just doing this one research project on als and blah 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 it's like yeah so matt we've we've heard those narratives before from idealists like yourself but but it is it is nice it is nice to hear that uh the the humbleness i think that that yeah you're a you are a humble man there's no you should be really proud i know you are i know you are really proud of uh what you guys have, have accomplished all together because it is it's something pretty special in, in 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 amateur sport it really is and of course in the sport that i know best cross-country skiing but uh it's yeah, been fun I, to follow along and it's cool and it's great to hear it's great to hear your your culture like I, I love that like that idealism that you keep coming back to that you're like no we're gonna no matter what we've created a sustainable culture and and that's the succession i i, I hope i hope you guys are right i i want to believe you guys are right and it, there's no reason why not with the pipeline that's coming up behind behind uh, the, the big stars we have athletes that are retiring and coaching you have liz killing yeah. it Park yeah City. that's awesome exactly Bill killing it in uh yeah in bozeman and we yeah. had an exit interview call yesterday with Catherine ogden and and we we're ca- getting caught up with her and and she is helping coach it in ford sarah new hampshire and that's she's, awesome she's loving that's it. awesome so, yeah stuff like and, that, that. and that's how you create that that again it comes back to that culture thing where like these are the things that create this this wheel that moves by itself essentially like and it's just it's just flowing and that's what you have here you know that's really what you have here in norway with cross-country ski culture is the club coaches in these smaller communities or mid-sized communities like rilam or whatever uh, you know um maybe they raced on the scandinavian cup maybe they won scandinavian cups maybe they raced on the world cup for a year or two and they're inspiring the next generation that's what i had as hockey coaching in Sudbury. i grew up in Sudbury, ontario and everyone asked like what do you think Canada is good at hockey for? It's like, cause like in my community, the guys coaching me were drafted to the NHL. He never played a game in the NHL, but when I was 12, 
you know, it's inspiring. They know hockey. There's a Canadian way to play. And, and I'm just kind of sucking that up with osmosis because it's my whole life at that moment. You know what I mean? And, and if you can get that going in the U S with, with uh, reaching out to these athletes and helping them um, or inspiring them, or even if it's just some of them had such a great time with you, Matt and, and the crew that they want to keep the party going and start with the club coaching career. And who knows where that takes them in the future, then man, then you're really cooking with gas and that that's a long-term uh, success. That's a recipe for long-term success as far as I'm concerned. I think it's, a, I think it's a, a, an interesting metric when, if, if you're able to, you know, put an actual, assign an actual value to it, what percentage of your athletes or athletes on your team uh, retire and are so burned out on the, the scene that they just simply can't even go skiing the next year. Um, and then what percentage of them somehow like Sophie or Keegan, Liz, Andy are immediately back involved with NNF. Sophie's all, Sophie and Simi were also coaching in, uh, in the Roaring Fork Valley when I was uh, there last fall, just helping out in practices. That's so you know, fun. Yeah, that's great. That, that to me is um, one of the biggest wins. Uh, and that's more, culture. More valuable than, than, a, than a medal um, in any race. You know, an athlete that uh, retires and still, still loves what they just left. Even I, though, I totally agree. Even though they couldn't bear race another season because they yeah. are simply. <laughs> no, but I, 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 can't, I can't agree with you more. I mean, we're completely aligned there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely very proud of uh, what we've all been able to, to do together. And it's not just the national team. It's the club coaches that have been willing to uh, work with us and not do what we're telling them to do, but simply realize that this isn't about the U S ski team. This is about, us skiing and yeah. you know no no one of us is as strong or resourceful or smart as all of us and uh and i feel like in the u.s we we have done a good job um not just the national team but we the club coaches the people the athletes have done a good job of swallowing our egos which which tend to get in the way um they feel good to exercise but they really don't lend to much progress and and so many so many coaches myself included have been able to swallow our pride and and work together and realize that hey we can use other people's great ideas that they don't all have to come from me or this other person so so that's been that's been a big deal for us well and that's the biggest win like i mean for people listening like i said traveling around on the norams or like you know back when they were called norams back in the day with the u.s and just traveling in the u.s for races and hearing with coaches and just the fights like oh my god yeah back in back in the days like in the marcus nash and justin wadsworth heydays like i mean it, it was just awful culture and <laughs> they, they, not awful not an awful culture a really passionate culture that weren't able to to be able to have the leadership in place like you guys have in, in the community to pull the whole country and the community together and I, I really, I'm kind of harping on this and that's got to go. So we're going to wrap this up. I should go to bed, but, um, uh, that that's, you know, to, to the Canadian horn away the Canadian flag a bit. Like I really hope we can get there in Canada because I think that is the key. And I think that you guys being south of the border, um, have shown that it's possible and it takes time, but it, you guys have accomplished that culture shift of what exactly what you just said that like club coaches, communities, people back the U S like stars and stripes, baby, we're, we're in it to win it together and winning. It doesn't necessarily mean like meddling. If we're my medals, I don't know who knows where they are, but like you said, hearing that like 
Sophie and Simi, not just here. I know they've been out there helping out with coaching and stuff, but like, you know, that they're out, they want to give back right away. Liz, Andy was just here in Norway. He's still here in Norway, but um, Skeena Tsani Fiala with his crew. And it was like, man, culture is everything. So Canada, let's get our shit together and create a better culture. <laughs> and uh, in 20 years, we can reap the rewards because you got a, we got a lot of great young talents that hopefully can challenge your young talents south of the border yeah, on the men's side. So it'll be fun. There's some good stuff happening. Yeah, up north. hope so. It's really cool. So. And, and definitely a very, uh, you know, outgoing group of men and women on, on the yeah. Canadian team right now. It's it's pretty cool. Lots to be That's proud. our legacy. That's our legacy, I hope. Yeah, that's we, right. We, we're mouthy bastards, so I hope uh, I hope that continues and people are having fun. Got to have fun. If you're going to be on the road six months of the year all winter, like you better you better have fun with each other. You really need to. Yeah. You you won't you won't last through period one. Um, no. or, or if you last, you won't have had any good results because yeah, <laughs> happy athletes, happy coaches. That's really the secret weapon. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Yeah, Speaking totally, of hack- we, we, we thought yesterday, um, this is an idea that Catherine had was, you know, we put so much emphasis on sports psychology on the road and wondering actually if, you know, we feel like it's normal to be in Europe for four or five months straight, um, or longer in some cases, um, and is it really sports psychology that we need, or do we need actual clinical psychologists? Because maybe, um, you know, maybe yeah. that would actually move the needle more for us um, when it comes to dealing with real problems. Because you know, we're just not re- rooted to a home. We're rooted to a hopefully yeah. a supportive group of, group of people. But there's there's a lot that we are con- disconnected from while we're traveling on on the World Cup that. Um, you know, our human genome really requires uh, yeah. for, for us to be happy and successful. And so there, there might be something there. So we're going to look into that a little bit. No, that's, that's, that's the, I think that's a really good idea. I mean, I, I can speak from personal experience because we've worked with sports psychologists, like when I was active in a career, I mean, like if you could pick up the phone and call like the most instrumental sports psychologist I worked with Cal Botterill, <laughs> um, and you asked him like, what did we talk about? Like, did, was it just like race planning and visualization with the technique? It's like Cal Botterill was like my straight up therapist. Like that's what he was. Like we talked about life and yeah. when the chips were down and something was happening, he was, you know, he was there for me like, yeah, essentially like as clinical psychologist role. And uh, this is kind of like a maybe more morbid story, but um, you know, like when I came into the junior team, uh, I moved from Sudbury when I moved from Sudbury, Ontario to Camor when I was 18, like I, I moved like right after my, my then girlfriend was struck and killed while cycling. And I was a mess. Yeah. I was a total mess. And I moved 3,500 kilometers away from home, you know? Uh, so my parents were a mess because like, it's, that's pretty hard. And I was like, wanted to chase this dream, whatever that was. And didn't know. I mean, it, it was really tough. Like it was obviously the hardest, no question, the hardest part of, my life ever it's pretty you grew up pretty fast but um you know the sports psychologist there like i i mean without having this was in the junior team like back in the days here like we're talking like way back in the days and and the sports psychologist that worked with our junior team was was my clinical psychologist and i'm I'm not gonna lie like i I, without without her help i i don't want to i don't want to it was that was a dark time in my life and like i uh 
yeah, it was without without the the support from from her as a like essentially <laughs> like way out of her <laughs> not what her PhD was about. Um, you know, who knows how how things could have turned out. So uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's those big moments that that yeah, like you've said over and over here in this conversation. You know, like half the happy athlete is is uh, is a fast athlete and a happy athlete's happy staff um enjoying each other but also like having that room to communicate effectively and being honest with each other without trampling on one another yeah that's right that's right uh, uh, that's cool. how you create long-term success in that's yeah so yeah I, i'm always i'm always so shocked when uh and just kind of surprised when people ask me about you know team and things things along those lines it, it's like because because to me i think to all of us on on our team it's not something unusual um it's not like we had this great idea hey let's be a really good team and let's see if that makes us faster um we just decided to be uh nice to each other we just decided to be good supportive non-judgmental non people um not all the time but as best as we can um and it just <laughs> having a good team dynamic and an environment that supports excellence is really just about being uh, good people, uh, culture of kindness. And, and so I'm more surprised when I hear about, um, you know, a toxic culture than, than I am when I hear about a culture that is, that's, that's really successful because they have positive dynamic, you know, we survived, we're here today because uh, our ancestors were able to, um, tribe up and, and, and get along and work together. And so this is like yeah. the one, if we're good at one thing, it's that. Yeah, no, for sure. That's, uh, that's true. Speaking of which, maybe that's a good place to end it, eh, Nat? Because we're going to work together and let Matt leave because he's got to leave. And uh, Matt's got to get on with his next call and I'll, uh, I'll shut it down. <laughs> hey, it's such an honor to be asked to... Uh, to <laughs> honestly, now you're like, you know what? Podcast? Is this the first one you guys have done? Or is this a no. series? Yes. No, no, it's not a series. We just have like a random assortment. I'm just of kidding. Chats. I know your podcast. <laughs> no, no, there's no way you do. There's no way you do. I, I get. I, you know what? I almost like. I'm starting to sweat because it's like podcast. I don't even like people. Are like you have a podcast. Like shut up. Like no one listens to this. Do this. It's horrible. Um, I, but it's, it's been I, a fun I, project. I, 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 I had to tell Matt, you know, there was one point during the Olympics when Matt was like, yeah, you know, like 2 a.m. when I can't sleep, I'll, I'll fire up the Kershaw show. And I'm like, dude, you should not be listening to Ever. our podcast. You never listen to this. The last Forever. thing you should be. Forever, Matt. Like, just unplug, baby. You're already traveling six months <laughs> of the year. Like, you're going to Alaska next week. Like, you don't need to listen to, like drivel from me about what i think about skiing in the good old I, days <laughs> i tend to listen to dark crime but uh yeah, but I, I will i will plug in i'm 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 huge fans oh um, god love you love your show thanks for sticking with us we'll be back